Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. The Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. As I look out across this assembly, I look into the faces of people who I know have had many, many good gifts extended to them over the course of their natural lives. I've had conversations with many of you where you would recount all the many things that God has done for you that has been good in your life. Brother Murray has often brought my attention to the statement that the Lord makes where he says, there's none good but God. He responded to someone one time and said, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. That is a profound statement. Anything you've ever had that has been any good at all, any legitimate, real good in your life has been the result and a testimony to the reality of God. Actual good comes from God. And I think if we ponder that as much as maybe we should, we'd have a little bit of a different attitude. Think about it this way. If there was no God, there would be no good. Every single bit of good in your life, true, honest, spiritual good, is a direct manifestation of the existence of God in this world. And as we think about all the good things we've had, we're really thinking about how good God has been to us. Well, one of the gifts that comes to mind, certainly the greatest gift of all, as I'm thinking about this this morning, is in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, a very common verse. We all know it. It's a messianic prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The greatest gift given to this world is the gift of God's only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here the prophet Isaiah is speaking of it six or seven hundred years before this would ever come to pass. And we recognize this in our time as a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder and suspect that in Isaiah's time, this was much more enigmatic and they probably weren't entirely sure what was being spoken of here. They knew there was a coming Messiah. And I think the Old Testament people had a lot of strange ideas. There's a lot of allusions to the throne of David and and this kind of imagery, a coming king. And it led God's people to believe that we're really talking about a political savior in the temporal sense as much as a spiritual savior and they were very wrong-headed about that in many ways they really expected jesus to become the new king of israel in a political sense and that's really not what was being described here but it led them to that and maybe this next verse gives you a sense of why they might think this way it says Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now you can see how 
If you were an Israelite in the time that this was written and you're reading it and you know, you know of David's kingdom and you're thinking about all these things in the, the past history of Israel and they're talking about the throne of David and a government that's going to be established, you can see why some people would say, yep, he's going to come back. He's going to be sitting on David's throne. It's going to be, a, it's going to be just like the old days. All right, We're going to have... Uh, <laughs> had a conversation with Brother Gary Harvey. We were talking about this very thing, how people could could get wrapped up in this the excitement of this political idea. And I said, you know, what, what they were back then, they were MIGA. We've had MAGA. That was popular here <laughs> several years ago. They were MIGA. Make Israel great again is what they were thinking. They were thinking, we're going to have somebody come in here and restore Israel to the good old days. That's kind of how they were thinking about it. And, you know, being charitable to them in their time, if you could take the New Testament out of your mind and look at these words, you can kind of see why they would have that sort of interpretation of things. But we know now, with the benefit of New Testament eyes and having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that's not exactly the right interpretation of this. Yes, He's going to be the Prince of Peace. He's, he is the everlasting Father. He's wonderful. He's a counselor. And of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. But He's not talking about the nation of Israel there. He's talking about spiritual Israel. He's talking about the spiritual government of God's kingdom. And we know that now largely through uh, what we found in the New Testament. Now, I've been asking you all to tell me what your favorite Bible verse is. Uh, I didn't look at the actual numbers, but I'd say we're probably sitting at about 60% participation at this point. I'm going to be making phone calls and kind of inquiring with others who haven't provided their verse yet, have a discussion uh, that's forthcoming. Don't be alarmed if you see me crop up on your phone. By the way, you can get out of that if you'll just respond to whatever text message I sent you. <laughs> you won't have that frightful moment when the pastor is, is showing up on your phone. It's not unusual when you ask God's people what their favorite verses are. You know what some of them are going to be. I mean, to me, Psalm 23 always comes to mind. It's just kind of like an old standard, right? You know, it's kind of like asking, hey, what's your favorite hymn? You know, some huge portion are going to say Amazing Grace. You know, there's, there's certain hymns that are going to be, you know, very popular and you expect to hear them. Psalm 23 is one. John 3.16 obviously is one that, that people point to a lot. But if you're talking to old Baptists, you're going to hear Matthew 121 an awful lot. That's one that several people have responded. And it's a classic. I know an elder who will remain unnamed who's got it as the front. <laughs> He's got a front license plate on his car and it says Matthew 121. You, I'll tell you later who it is. But not uncommon among old Baptists to say that's your favorite verse. And I think there's a lot in that in the Advent season when Christians are turning their attention to the coming of Jesus Christ in this world that is very helpful. If we look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, we see this Advent tale. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. This is how it happened. By the way, if you're not going to accept the next couple of sentences here, just I don't know why you'd even want to call yourself a Christian. This is what the Bible says. The Bible is the truth. It is the text of the Word of God. And if you don't accept this testimony, you've got to modify it radically to conform to your notions of science and whatnot. Just don't kid yourself into thinking you're actually a Christian. This is the testimony of the Bible. When, as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, now that reasonable people don't need that explained. That's pretty straightforward. 
Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. I think I said last Sunday, if there is not a miracle working God, a God who works wonders in this world, a God who transcends the laws of nature as we understand it, then this testimony is straight crazy. It's just crazy. You can imagine being espoused to someone and she comes to you and says, I'm pregnant and it's of the Holy Ghost. That is a crazy testimony. Now, if there's no God that's working wonders in this world, then it's just a crazy story, right? But this is the truth. This is why it's so central to understand this. God works wonders and this is one of the wonders He worked. This is why the birth of Jesus Christ is a miraculous and wondrous thing. Because this is the testimony of the Word of God. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And here's verse 21, which is so beloved among our people. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now there's the three shalls that every hard shall on this planet loves and believes and is very fond of, as I think we all should be. Well, let's see if we can find that elsewhere in the Scripture. Let's look at Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. By the way, were the American Indians taxed in this? No, they weren't. So all the world here does not mean all of humanity. Okay, I always like to hit that point because that is such a stumbling stone for some people. Well, it says all. It said all. It's got to mean all. No Mesoamericans were paying Caesar's tax. Okay, There's qualifications around this. Verse 3. And all went to be taxed. No Mesoamericans among them. Okay, All went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to, unto Judea and the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Well, there's our first shell. She's brought forth a son. Do you believe that today? That's where our hope rests. It's absolutely central. The, the hope of the Christian faith rests upon the reality that a virgin under the miraculous power of God brought forth a child and the Bible says that she did it. Let's keep reading. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I want you to notice something. I, I started this service by saying, All good comes from God. And this is goodwill toward men. This is goodwill coming from God toward men. I've heard people at times say things like, uh, maybe in, in the end of life or people getting to the end of their life, and, and Christian people I've even heard say things like, well, I've made my peace with God. And I do understand the sentiment. I believe what they're saying is, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior, and in that sense I have made peace with God. But theologically speaking, that is not correct. Man cannot make peace with God. He can make a lot of things, but he cannot make peace with God. He absolutely cannot do it. Jesus Christ said, with men this is impossible. So there ain't no man out there making peace with God. This child, Jesus Christ, who came into the world by a virgin, is the one who is going to make peace between God and man. He is the daysman that stands between God and man and can reconcile the two. He's the one that's going to bring peace and goodwill towards men. That goodwill towards men has to be from God towards men. It's not, you're just out there saying, well, I want to try to make it right with God. You can't make it right with God. You absolutely cannot. And the only one who can is the one who was born of a virgin in a miraculous event who was brought to this earth for this purpose. And his name is Jesus, as we're going to find out. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. That's some early gospel ministry right there. You've got people saying, The Lord has been born here. We know this message. We've gone and seen it with our own eyes, and now we're going to go tell people about it. They're spreading the word of this thing. And, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They're wondrous things. They have to be. I mean, if this is just some, well, there's a lady over here that had a baby. That's not a wondrous thing. I got news for you. It's happening all the time. Women having babies all over the place. Every one of us is a walking example, some woman that had a baby. It's not all that wondrous in that sense. It's common. But a virgin bringing forth a child is a wondrous thing. Okay? Verse 21, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Well, there's your second shall. He was named Jesus. So he was born of a virgin. She called him Jesus. We've covered the first two of the shalls there, have we not? In Matthew 121. Well, what else can we say about this Jesus? Let's turn over to John. Pick up a little bit more about who this Jesus is. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This Word is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is another of the terms for Jesus Christ. 
It's referred to sometimes as the pre-incarnate Word. The Lord Jesus Christ with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, in the Trinity, before His incarnation, before He took on flesh. But interesting what we find here. Some people will say, well, I accept that there was an itinerant Jewish preacher named Jesus, and he was kind of a philosopher, and he had a big impact on the world, but he was not the virgin-born Son of God. That's a very popular belief, even among people who claim to be Christians today. Is that going to survive this testimony? Because this Word is Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this word is Jesus Christ, as we're going to find here a little bit later. And this is saying that this is God manifest in the flesh. Now, how are you going to accept this testament? Well, he wasn't born of a virgin, and well, he he didn't work miracles, and well, it says he's God, okay? To the extent that you say, well, I don't believe Jesus Christ could do that, he was just a man, you're likewise saying, I don't believe God can do that, because the Bible says, Jesus Christ, the Word, is God. The same was in the beginning with God. He was not, didn't come into existence 2,000 years ago because He's God. And He was the Word, the pre-incarnate Word with the Lord in glory. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The itinerant Jewish preacher philosopher is not going to be able to meet that qualification. He's not the creator of the world. I mean, what I'm trying to point out here is that when you try to take this sophisticated and philosophical view of who Jesus was as just some itinerant preacher and some philosopher, you're just rejecting the plain testimony of the Bible. And I honestly mean this. People who want to take that route and say, they would be more honest to say, I am not a Christian. I'm not a Christian. I don't believe the fundamental tenets of the faith. They want to have some sheen of Christianity on them so they can broker in the world of religion, but they want to reject the fundamental truths of the fact that Jesus Christ is God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Now, people were pretty impressed with John the Baptist, and to such a degree that they actually wanted to make him out to be the Messiah. And he was having to tell people, no, I'm not, that's not me now. This is, I'm telling you about the light. I'm telling you about who's coming here. I'm not that one. He was constantly having to, uh, to kind of correct people on that fact. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Jesus Christ is the incarnate God. You see that? He's the one who made the world. And so this itinerant preacher view is never going to survive the Scriptures. You're going to have to cut huge passages, huge swaths of Scripture out of the Bible. And really that's what they do, because people who take that position and who claim to be Christian ministers, and there are many of them, What they're really saying is the Bible is a paperweight. It's not going to do you any good because i got to cut that thing up. It's going to look like a Swiss cheese when I'm done with it. By the time I'm done telling you what part of it's true and what part of it is Jewish fable and what part of it is nonsense and the part you're supposed to believe and the part you're not supposed to believe, your Bible is a paperweight. It's worthless.
that's really what's lurking beneath all that. Though it's rare that you'll hear someone be that honest about what they're actually teaching. He came into his own, and his own received him not. You would really think that if Jesus was going to be accepted anywhere, the people who had the oracles of God, who had been told all these prophecies of a coming Messiah, here he comes, he's working miracles, incredible miracles. I mean, miracle after miracle. And not the, you know, well, my one leg was an inch shorter than the other, and I went to that meeting, and now they're, they're the same. It's not that kind of nonsense. It's withered hands. It's bringing people up from the dead, right? Incredible, miraculous testimony of a wonder-working God. And you would think, with all the prophecies, with all the deliverances, with all the signs and wonders that it had attended the Jewish people and the Old Testament scriptures that codified this and the commonness with which it was taught in their society, you would think if anybody would accept Jesus, it would be these people. But he came into his own and his own received him not. It's not about any of that. That's because God's work in regeneration that gives you a hunger and thirst for righteousness is every bit a miracle. It's not a function of your ethnic heritage. It's not, even, it's not a function of your religious upbringing. These people were quite religious. They had lots of, they had way more advantages in terms of the oracles of God than the Gentile worlds have, and yet his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't that say they had to believe in order to become sons of God? No, never read verse 12 of John's first chapter without also reading verse 13. They should never be separated from one another, and they commonly are in Christianity, which were born. That is the perfect tense. As of the time they believed, they were born. In the same way that in your natural life, anything you've ever believed, at that moment you were born of your mother. You follow me? At that moment, that moment of belief, you had already been born of your mother. None of us are saying, well, I believed things before I was born. That doesn't even make any sense. It works precisely the same way in the spiritual realm. Because except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Amen. Follow me? So it's talking about these people believing and becoming sons of God. And in their cognition, they've come to understand, I hear the gospel. I see that I am a son of God, and He's been gracious to me to open my eyes and give me life to be able to see these things. But such people who are in that condition were born. And how are they born? Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. In other words, it's not of my ethnic heritage. Well, I'm, I was born a Jew. Lots of people say, well, if you're born a Jew, you're in. They're God's people. They're all going to heaven. Paul clearly says that's not the case in the book of Romans. But it's stated here, too, because these people are born not of blood. That means your ethnic heritage, your lineage, is not why you were born of the Spirit of God. Not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It's much made of man's free will and how that's instrumental in your salvation. But this says it's not of the will. It's not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. So that's going to take it off the table, whether you call it free will or free willy or whatever you want to call it. It's just not part of man's will. You've got to be born of God for you to have a spiritual will, a spiritual desire, and a spiritual inclination. So this is the God that was being preached. And it says in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'll say this. I understand why someone who does not accept a supernatural testimony would say, I have a hard time believing in the virgin birth. I mean, if all there is is nature, that's a pretty difficult concept to wrap your mind around. We don't see that happening. However, God being manifest in the flesh is an even greater miraculous thing. I mean, how do you wrap your mind around that? God becoming a man through this process. That is a truly wondrous and miraculous thing. Far greater than the idea of a virgin birth, in my opinion. Both are miraculous and supernatural. But the idea of God being made flesh and dwelling among us is a truly miraculous thing. We should all give more consideration. Now, skip down a little bit. We'll see a little bit more about this Jesus. Verse 29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. This is the... He was constantly explaining to people, I know you guys see me as a great prophet. You're coming out and you're being baptized for your repentance and these sorts of things. But there's someone coming that's greater than me. And here Jesus comes around and he points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And you want to talk about a good gift and a perfect gift? It required a perfect gift. A perfect gift from God for your sins to be taken away. And Jesus Christ is the one who did that. He was the one for He was before me, and I knew Him not, but that He should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon Him. And I knew Him not, but He that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. This is no normal person. This is not an itinerant Jewish preacher or philosopher. This is the virgin-born Son of God. His name was Jesus. Well, as we close, let's look at one final testimony. We've left the uh, third shall of Matthew 1.21 hanging in the balance. And this is the one that gives many of God's people trouble. If you're preaching a Jesus that is trying to save everyone and is honestly, in most endeavors, failing miserably, there's all these people ending up in hell that He came and tried to save them, but He couldn't get it done. It's hard to imagine that this would be considered a good shepherd, as I've preached on many times before. But God had a people, and He chose to save them. And we see that testimony here. John chapter 19 and verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. The all things that are in view there are the things that are required for Jesus Christ to fulfill the covenant on your behalf. What He did in His life was live the perfect life that you did not. He lived the perfect life that you did not. On your best day, you're altogether vanity. I've had some pretty bad days. I would never want to raise those up before God. 
But the Bible's testimony is that on your very best day, the day that you went home and you, your head hit the pillow and in your foolishness and pride, you thought, man, that was a good day. I helped my neighbor. I, you know what? I didn't, I didn't get drunk. I didn't look at my neighbor's wife. He's got a nice car, but I didn't even think about how much better it is than mine. And uh, I mowed my next door neighbor's yard. I let him borrow a cup of sugar. That was a good day. Altogether vanity. It would never do anything in terms of procuring God's eternal favor. You needed a Savior. And you needed someone who could actually accomplish the job of saving His people. The biggest argument, honestly, in Christianity revolves around one question. What did Jesus Christ accomplish? That's the biggest argument. If you can get solid on what Jesus Christ accomplished... Grace flows from that affirmation. You'll understand more about the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that's the accomplishment of the salvation of His people, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now there was a vessel of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it on hyssop, and put it to His mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Jesus Christ came to accomplish something. And when he saw that it had been accomplished, he gave up the ghost, declaring, It is finished. The work is done. It required a virgin-born Son of God to come into this world, live a perfect life, accomplish the work of your salvation, so that you could live in the peace of that declaration. You know, it's peace on earth, goodwill towards men. This is the goodwill towards you. Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for your sins, it is finished. It is finished. There is no better gift than that to you. This is something you could never acquire on your own. Some of you may think, well, I'd like to have a nicer car. I've always wanted to have a bigger home. And you may have ideas about, I'm going to be famous or whatever. You have ideas of good things that you'd like to have happen in your life. They don't compare to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ would be born of a virgin, and He was. It tells us that they would call His name Jesus, and they did. And it says that He will save His people from their sins. He shall save His people from their sins. And when He declared it is finished, He did it. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.